It would be very helpful this morning for the sermon if you are an adult and you had uh, a bulletin. So I've got just a few left. If some of you don't have one, I think it would be helpful. Okay. Okay, anybody else? We're going to use them all up. Pass one down. There you go. Another one right here. Yep. Okay. Good. Good. If you open that up, on anybody got a couple? Yep. Okay. Coming back. Open that up on the inside. You'll see the sermon outline. Got one left. Who's the lucky recipient? One. One. I'm going to make a paper airplane and throw it. Okay. You take a look inside there, open up to that, and we'll be using that as a reference point. I think it will be helpful. So, when I was nine years old, more than anything in the whole wide world, I wanted a purple banana seat Schwinn bike with high-rise handlebars, okay, sissy bar in the back, and a three-inch wide slick tire. Anybody else? Really cool bike, isn't it? Yeah, right there. I got you. And then when I was 12 years old, more than anything in the world, I wanted a guitar. When I was 16 years old, more than anything else in the world, I just wanted to be a little bit older so I could make my own decisions and do whatever I want. And then when I was 18 years old, I was in college. And more than anything else in the world, I just wanted to get out of college so I could farm. And then when I was 25 years old, I was farming. And more than anything in the world, I just wanted more land. And then I was 29 years old and I had some more land. And more than anything in the world, I wanted a 16-row John Deere corn planter, one of the biggest ones at the time. Then I was 35 years old. And I was teaching in instructing in the Word of God, and more than anything else in the world, I wanted to be taught how to teach and preach and portray the Word of God. And then I was 40 years old, and I was in seminary. And when I was in seminary, all I wanted was to graduate from seminary and have my own church and be their pastor and practice what I was learning. And then I was 45 years old, and I was a pastor. And all I wanted was for my church to be successful and to grow and for me to be the guy who did it. And then when I was 48 years old, I resigned from that church and I was discouraged and weary. And all I wanted was to know why it happened. Why did it go this way? I felt like a failure. failure, And I struggled to trust God in that season. Some of you have shared with me what you want more than anything in the world. I've asked quite a few of you. One mom said all she wants is the godliness of her children more than anything in the world. One dad told me the same thing. One person said they longed and prayed for a particular situation for so long, and then when God finally brought it to pass, the reality of God doing what she had prayed for almost made her feel guilty because she had focused on only that for so long, not trusting God. A father and a husband said that all he wants, more than anything in the world, is financial security. One man told me that what he wants more than anything in the world is for God to smile on me. We had a little bit of a conversation about that 
and realize that God does smile on his children. God loves his children. And so what he really wanted was not for God to smile on him, but for him to feel it. One man said last week, I just want some rest. And I said, rest because you're tired or rest because you're weary? And he said, because I'm weary. One young man said he wants security. One really honest young man said, I just want wealth, power, and influence. Think about what you want more than anything in the world. You've had a lot of ideas there. Be honest about it. Don't over-spiritualize it. Think about what you want more than anything in the world and write it in the box in your bulletin. On the bottom, look at that. And if you're afraid somebody might see it, just put a letter that reminds you. It's an important thing for us to look at this morning because we're going to look at what Habakkuk wanted more than anything in the world. And then God says to him, sorry, that's not going to happen. And you're like, what? And then God says, look, all of these things that we talk about God, in the end of the book, Habakkuk says, I'm going to trust in God. Habakkuk went from woe is me to wow is God. And I want to know how we got there. And I want us to see how we got there from the book of Habakkuk. So put in that box, what do you want more than anything in the world? I know what it's like to really long for something. So do you. And Habakkuk mourned and God did not give him what he asked for. Look at some selected verses, if you will, with me from the book of Habakkuk. We will use these to stitch together our thinking about how to move from woe is me to wow is God. Habakkuk 1 Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen? Or I cry out to you about violence and you do not save. Why do you force me to look at injustice and why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. That is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Look at the nations and observe and be utterly astounded. And then God says, something is going to take place in your day that you will not believe when you hear about it. Habakkuk 2.4, the pivotal verse in the book of Habakkuk. Look at his ego, is inflated, he is without integrity, referring to the wicked. Okay, But the righteous one will live by faith. Habakkuk 3, verse 2. Lord, I've heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. And in your wrath, remember mercy. And then the conclusion of the book of Habakkuk. Though the fig tree does not bud. Though there is no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there's no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall. I will triumph. In Yahweh, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountains. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, take this scripture this morning and use it to teach our hearts how to move from woe is me to wow is God in Jesus' name. Amen. So you have to understand the setting of the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. I know if you were in the adult Sunday school class, Justin referred to this. But the setting for the book of Habakkuk is somewhere in the 
Israel, history of Israel, there was two kingdoms. They split after Solomon, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, okay? And then in 722, the neighboring evil people came in and bombarded the northern kingdom and built siege ramps and destroyed their cities and hauled off a whole bunch of people. So, you know, literally half of the original tribe of Israel had been hauled away into captivity in 722. And the people in the southern kingdom were aware that that happened and know how it happened. Matter of fact, when they sieged the northern kingdom, they besieged Jerusalem at that time when we were building siege ramps and coming to take it, but they were not successful. And the southern kingdom did not fall at 722, but lasted for another hundred plus years. So we're going through the minor prophets as a teaching series here at Redemption. And we have to understand there's 12 minor prophets, and some of them are speaking before the siege of the northern kingdom. And then some are speaking before the siege of the southern kingdom. And then some are speaking after that all happened. So Jonah, Amos, and Hosea are speaking before the northern kingdom was taken. And then Habakkuk, our prophet that we're looking at today, was a spokesman to the southern tribe, which was just about to be taken. As a matter of fact, best we have it, Habakkuk was the last prophet to speak before the city was taken and they were hauled away. Habakkuk says to God, you know, give me a break. There's so much evil out there and it's so hard. Justice will prevail. And, 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 he's, and he's complaining to God things like you might even say too. I just don't understand this, God. You're big and powerful and loving. Why don't you fix this? And then God says to Habakkuk, I'm going to show you something that you are not going to believe. And Habakkuk goes, oh, good. This is fantastic. And God goes, it's going to get a lot worse. And Habakkuk's like, what? God says, I'm going to show you something that you cannot believe. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, Babylonians, same thing. I'm going to raise them up, and they're going to come down into the southern tribe of Israel, and they are going to wreck everything. And that happened. And so we can place Habakkuk towards the end of this southern tribe because the Babylonians... uh, had not been raised up yet. It wasn't obvious they were in power. They came to power in 612 B.C. The city of Jerusalem is sacked in 586. So Habakkuk is right at the end of this time. And Habakkuk, interestingly, is one of the only books of the minor prophets that doesn't call for the people to repent. He just acknowledges how he feels about it. God tells him what he's going to do. And Habakkuk comes to terms with it and rejoices in the God of his salvation. Habakkuk tells God how he feels, asks him why he doesn't help, and then God gives Habakkuk new eyes to look at his situation. And that's what I want for me, and that's what I want for us. We're going to look at the book of Habakkuk and look at six things that we can do to move from woe is me to wow is God. Number one, be honest with God. There is nothing wrong with Habakkuk the prophet talking to God and telling him how he feels. We see this all over the Bible. We see it especially in the book of Psalms. You have to be honest with God about how you feel. Tell him the truth. Sometimes we think if we're a good Christian, we can't feel a certain way. or We can't think a certain certain thing. Well, you do. That's just reality. So we want to share that with God and talk to God. And Habakkuk's book opens with him saying, God, this is just so bad. Look at all these horrible things. And he's very honest with God. Now, also, it's important to know 
when you have complained to God, when you have complained enough. Right? Remember in the New Testament, Paul's talking about a thorn in the flesh, and God says, look, you've asked me this many times, that's it, no more, we're done with this. This is for your, this is for my glory and for your benefit, we're not going to talk about this anymore. And some of you maybe have an event in your life, and you've complained about it enough, and maybe God would speak to you and say, you know, I heard you. You told me. You were honest. I get it. Now let's move on to something more important, right? Be honest with God. That's what Habakkuk did. There's a tendency, I think, in Christian circles for us to lean too far one way or the other. There's a tendency for us to never move past our pain. Maybe you've been hurt by a person or a spouse or a church. Or maybe you've lost a dear loved one and you can't move past the pain. And God wants us to move past our pain. He wants us to be honest with Him. And then He wants to help us to process that in light of who He is so that we can be joyful in our Christian walk. And so there's a tendency in Christian circles to lean too far one way or the other. There's a tendency to not acknowledge the pain in the first place and a tendency to not be able to move past it. It's just as dangerous to not acknowledge it. You ever run across a Christian where nothing, no matter how bad it is, is ever bad? It's always just rosy and wonderful, and you don't believe them? It doesn't feel honest to you? I know people like that. I'm like, let's just say it. Cancer's a bad word. You've got it. This hurts. This is bad. Say it. I'll feel so much better if you acknowledge that this is a painful situation. Be honest. Because to be dishonest about how you feel or what you think is to be dishonest. Right? It's harmful to be dishonest about what you think and feel. It's harmful because you cannot heal if you don't address the problem, and you cannot have a strong trust in God if you don't address your doubts. And you can't heal if you don't address the problem, and you can't address your doubts in God if you're not honest about it. So you've got to be honest with God, and Habakkuk was. And then you have to be patient with God, number two. It grieves me to acknowledge to you that as I read the Bible, I realize that among so many things that God wants to teach us, He wants us to be patient, right? Think about it. All through the Bible. Moses, taken out of a basket in the reeds and taken to... and seeing his people being persecuted and taken advantage of and he can't stand it, but there's nothing he can do because he's the son of... Pharaoh, and there are 400 years in captivity, and all these people, when will God ever deliver us? And they're crying out, and God goes, I hear you. I hear you, all right. Moses. Think of Noah. 486 years old, God tells Noah to build an ark. Took him 486 years for God to teach Noah everything he had to know to do the thing that God wanted him to do, right? I asked someone this morning how they, what they wanted more than anything in the world, and that person told me this morning, I just want to make a difference in feeling like what I do matters, right? Noah, 486 years old, God says build an ark. And then he spends 100 years building an ark. He's supposed to preach about the destruction that's coming. Imagine the patience it takes to build this, you know, ginormous ship when you've never seen rain. This thing is never going to float. And the whole time, everybody tells you you're an idiot. That's Noah. How about Hannah, First Samuel? Wanted a child more than anything in the world. Prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a child. David. David was anointed the king of Israel. And Saul kept trying to kill him over and over 
and over again. And God was teaching him patience among many other things. And you say, well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Oh, yeah. John chapter 2, water into wine. Jesus at the wedding feast. And they don't, Jesus doesn't make the, the wine before they run out. They break it after they run out. And everybody flips out. Oh, my word, there's no wine. We're at the wedding. What are we going to do? Jesus makes the wine. Lazarus died. Jesus could have prevented that. Mary and Martha said, if you were here, this would not have happened. And God was teaching them something. What about the woman in the, in the Gospels with the issue of blood for 17 years, bleeding, nonstop, constant annoyance, and doesn't know what to do? 17 years she endured that, and one day she touches the hem of Jesus' garment and it goes away. How many times do you think she prayed for that to go away? Huh? Once, twice, or a thousand times? Please, please, God. And one day Jesus walks by and she touches him and it's over. What about Acts 3? The man sitting outside the temple, right? And Peter walks into the temple and the guy's lame and, and, and he says, hey, you know, give me some, give me something, you know. And Peter goes, hey, I don't have any silver or gold, but I'm going to give you what I got. And bam, the man's healed and he jumps up and walks away. He didn't even ask for that. He wasn't smart enough for something really good. He was asking for money. Blah, just money. And Peter heals him for the glory of God. Get this, though. That's at the temple. The guy was lame from his mother's womb. How long? Long time. How many times do you think Jesus walked by him? Think about it. To temple. It's in Jerusalem. Had to have happened. Over and over and over again. But no. Time goes by and time goes by and he's lame. And then when God decides the time is right, Peter comes along and Peter heals him. And he rejoices in the glory of God because he's been healed. Patience. Be patient with, for God because this is how God works through the entire canon of Scripture. We see it in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. Gather yourselves together and understand. Chapter, be patient for God. To I'm in Zephaniah. That's why it's not working. There we go. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout there where I will watch and see what they say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. I'm going to wait and see what God says. And then in chapter 3, verse 16, now I must quietly wait. Sometimes the life of the Christian in learning to trust God is being patient with God. One poet wrote that God's delays are not denials. He's heard your prayer. He knows all about your trials and He knows your every care. God's delays are not about denials. Help is on the way. He's watching over life's dials, bringing forth the day. God's delays are not denials. You will find Him true, working through the hardest trial. What is best for you? Be honest with God. Be patient with God. And then be listening to God. Be listening to God. God is speaking into your life. He is speaking into your life right now. Are you listening? He speaks to your life in Bible study, small group fellowship, your quiet time, on the radio, listen to sermons on the way to work, on your walking with your walkman. Careful what you listen to because you want God to talk or you want some... You get it. Be listening to God. He is speaking. God spoke to Habakkuk. He speaks to you. Do you want to know what he's saying? Listen, and the Spirit of God will guide you into all truth. You know what God told Habakkuk? Habakkuk gives him his complaint, and God says, okay, number one, number one, Habakkuk, okay, you're the problem. <laughs> I didn't want to hear that, right? 
Do you ever meet with someone over a problem in your life and they say, well, I, I really think you're the problem here? I have. I don't want to hear it. It's what God told Habakkuk. God, this is so bad, all this violence and all this injustice and all this stuff going wrong. This is so terrible. And God says, oh, well, you guys are living in wicked sin. The children of Israel have been walking away from you for a long time. You're the problem, and I'm going to punish you for your evil. Oh, oh, that's not what I wanted to hear from God. Number two, he tells them, I'm going to use the Babylonians, this horrible, wicked people that were being raised up at that time who would spare no expense or humiliation in the people that they take over in the conquest. If you think about it back in this time in the B.C. and all that, they all had these gigantic walled cities. Why? It's because there was these bands of people that would try to take over nations. And when they, when they would come in, everybody would run to the walled city and these 30-foot thick walls and 20 feet high, and they would hide out in there and try and last until these besiegers, these attackers, these armies, these wicked people would come to take all their stuff and take their wives and kill their children, plunder everything. That's what it was. And so Jerusalem was a big walled city and they came and it took a long, long, long time to capture the city because it was up on a hill and the walls are 30 feet high. So how do you do it? Right? You start hauling in dirt with your army of 100,000 people, one bucket at a time behind a donkey. And you build a dirt ramp and it's really, really long, really high. It takes a long, 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 long time. And God said, the Babylonians are coming. They're going to take it. And you can't build the wall high enough to stop that work of God that's coming into my people in your life. You cannot build a wall high enough to stop me. And then God says, I'm going to punish you for your sin. You've walked away from me. You don't care. You've worshipped idols. I'm going to punish you for your sin. And in fact, it goes, oh, he knows they deserve it. He doesn't complain about that. He just complains about the wicked people that are going to do it. And then God says, and then when I'm done, I'm going to punish the people who did it. God tells Habakkuk in chapter 3, verses 2 through 7, where we learn this about God. Lord, I've heard the report about you. I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years and make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Be listening to God because God is talking. But before we are honest, as we're supposed to be in point number one, and before we listen to God patiently like we're supposed to do in point number two, let's just get something clear and put it right on the table right now. Every problem, every challenge, every disappointment, every heartache, every horrible thing in your life is a result of sin. Okay? Now it's a result of two different kinds of sin. It's a result of the sin that you commit in your own life because you're still a sinner, although you're redeemed. And it's the result of other people's sin around you or the sin that encompasses the world because we as mankind fell back in Genesis chapter 3, right? So sin is the cause for all this suffering and all this disappointment. Take away the sin. You know what you've got? Heaven. Can't wait. One person told me this morning, more than anything in the world, I just want to have Jesus come back and take me home to live with him, right? Heaven. That's what, that's what the absence of sin looks like. It looks like heaven. So we have to be honest with God and say sin is the cause of every struggle we have in our lives. And some of it is our sin, and some of it is other people's sin. And sometimes in your own life, like in the book of Habakkuk, God is disciplining his children because of their sin. Right? And some people say, well, no, God's a, I, I'm redeemed. I've been saved. I'm righteous. God loves me. God would never punish me or God would never discipline me. Wrong. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. God disciplined 
And the word punishes in many translations every son who he loves. God loves you. God will punish you for your evil. God will discipline you for disobeying him. And so the response is to understand that, to acknowledge that, to love God for disciplining you, and to respond accordingly, to repent and to be restored in that relationship. And that's what happens in Habakkuk's time. God is rightfully punishing his people for their wickedness, and Habakkuk comes to terms with that. Sometimes the pain and discomfort in your life is self-inflicted. Some of you might have written something in your box that than anything else, I want this. Well, maybe that's a result of your own sin. If so, repent and be restored in a relationship with God. Sometimes God is disciplining the child that he loves, and that's the case in the book of Habakkuk. And then number four, we come to the tipping point. Be trusting in God. By the way, I've got the two words in point three and four mixed around. Number three is be listening to God. Number four is be trusting in God. Switch those two words around. Be trusting in God. As we come through this journey with Habakkuk in the book of Habakkuk, we come to the place where we realize everything we've talked about, and then God says, now the wicked people, they're really bad, and I'm going to take care of them. But the righteous, they will live by faith. Tipping point in the book. Not only is the tipping point in the book of Habakkuk, it's the tipping point in your life and mine, right? The righteous will live by faith. Well, now, let's just be clear on what the righteous is who will live by faith, okay? The righteous, they're the people that God loves, whom he's chosen, who are his children, who are saved, who are Christians, who are righteous, not because they've done a whole bunch of good things, but because they've trusted in Christ and their righteousness is not earned or done. It is imputed to them by God. They receive God's righteousness as a child of God. So when God says the righteous will live by faith, he's saying those people who are mine, the Christians, the believers, they live by faith. So when I read about all this stuff that Habakkuk is not wanting to happen and complaining and God says what he's going to do, God says, hey, but the righteous live by faith. They trust me. Faith is the cause of your salvation. Faith is the evidence of your salvation. And faith is the fruits of your salvation. Do you get that? The righteous will live by faith. Faith is what causes your salvation. You have faith in God. You love God. You believe in God. You turn to God. Faith is the cause of your salvation. Faith is the evidence of your salvation. It's evidence that you have faith in God by the way that you have faith in him. And faith is the fruit of it. As you have faith in God, your faith grows and you love and trust and serve God more. So what's it look like to have faith when I think negative things, or I have negative emotions, or I'm downcast, or I'm defeated, or I'm discouraged, or I don't want God to do what he's doing right now. What's it look like when I'm confused or weary or sad? It means to wait on God, to listen to God, to grow in your trust for God through it all. So we're to... We're to be honest with God. We are to be patient for God. We are to be listening to God. We are to be trusting in God, the tipping point for our passage in your life. And then we are to be satisfied with God as a result of that conversation, right? Be satisfied with God. Some of the most wonderful 
verses in the Old Testament. I have found this passage to be a comfort in my life when I'm downcast or discouraged or struggling. This is a picture of where I want to be all the time in my life. This is a picture of where I know you want to be in your life. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, though there's no fruit on the vine, that could be grapes, no grapes on the vine. Though the olive crop fails, though the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Yahweh is my Lord and my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer. He enables me to walk on the mountain heights. That's what I want for me. I want to listen to God and wait for God and be honest with God. And I want God to teach me. And I want my faith to be a turning point in my life where no matter what's happening around me or to me or because of me, that I can say this. You know what this picture is right here that Habakkuk is painting? This is a picture of absolute prosperity, right? Think about it. He's saying, think of the biblical metaphors for this. Figs. Jesus used figs as an illustration in the New Testament. Figs was one of their main crops. Grapes, vineyards and grapes and the vine from the beginning of the Bible to the end. Olives, fields, wheat, grain, harvest, sheep. Cattle, all this is just painting a picture of what it looks like to be safe and secure and have financial stability and not have to worry and know that there's something to drink and something to eat and something in the field for next year and grain to sow. This is a picture of prosperity. And Habakkuk says, you know, God says he's coming to punish us with the Babylonians. They're going to destroy everything. They're going to take away my figs, my grapes, my wine, my cattle, my sheep. They're going to wreck it all. But I want to trust in God. I want to rejoice in God no matter what happens. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for you. Interesting, and if you look up the verbs, and it says kind of the same thing twice. I will triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in God. Many of your Bibles say, I will be joyful in God. I will be joyful in the Lord. If you look up the verbs, one of them is an actual action. The other one's an attitude. So it's almost like we're saying the same thing twice here. I will rejoice in God as a physical action. I will rejoice. I will sing. I will praise Him. I will thank Him as the Bible commands me. With my actions, I'll rejoice in God. And then I will be joyful in God as a state of being. It's the way my heart is. It's my attitude. I will have an attitude of joy and thanks for God in God. When something bad happens in your life, something that you never, ever wanted to happen, and you can be joyful and rest in God, you have it. And then it says, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountains heights. Same thing. Makes my feet like a deer. Here God is enabling your feet to move. He's enabling you to take the next step in your life when the horrible thing happened that you didn't want to happen. He enables you to take that next step. He enables you to take that next step when that thing that you long for more than anything in the world just won't happen in your life. God gives you the strength to take the next step. And then he enables me to walk on mountain heights. That's enabling. God gives you the physical strength to move on. And then he gives you the attitude within, the enabling to continue to press forward. That's where Habakkuk went. He was honest with God. He told him how he felt. He listened to him. He heard what God said. His 
His, his position was changed by his faith in God because God said the righteous live by faith. And Habakkuk says, oh, I want that faith. And he got it. Do you want that faith? Can you be that patient? Can you look at your situation through the eyes of God and not through the eyes of yourself? When you learn to be joyful and happy in God and not His gifts, the things He can do or give for you, then you are truly blessed with a peace that passes all understanding. Psalms 119, 165. Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing will offend them. Nothing will shake them. Great peace have they that love thy You are certainly blessed with a peace that passes all understanding. And then lastly, be expecting from God. Be expecting from God. When this journey that Habakkuk happens in your life, it does not mean that what you long for more than anything else in the world will become yours. Okay? You're going to have to turn on your TV and pick a couple of prosperity preachers to hear that. Okay? That's not what it means at all. Okay? Don't listen to that crap. What it means is when you love God more than anything else, when you desire Him more, when you find your joy in Him, and He feeds your attitude and your spirit. You're thankful for what He's doing. It means that you have that joy despite whether or not He gives you everything you want. And any preaching that is designed for you to get what you want for God, God forbid, that's the last thing I want in my life. I don't want from God what I want for me. I want for God what He wants for me. And He generally doesn't want the same things I want. God didn't really care about my purple swim bike. Okay, It was kind of him, but it really wasn't on his agenda. Right? God wasn't really that concerned about my 16-row John Deere planter that I bought in 1995. It just wasn't that big of a deal. He was way more concerned about my heart. And he is about yours. It's interesting in here, the last phrase of Zephaniah, or of, of Habakkuk, is for the choir director on stringed instruments. Chapter 3 is a song. It begins with a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to, to the Shigiana, right? This is a song. This is to be sung for the choir. Listen to me, flock. You can sing in pain, right? You can sing when you don't get what you want from God. You can rejoice in God when you don't have what you want. You can acknowledge that and listen to God and be thankful and trust Him in that. But you can sing in your Pain. Look at your bulletin, if you would, with me, please, would you? What I want more than anything is something's in that box. If you didn't write it down. Now, there's two places we can go with that, okay? Down below that, on the one side, write my desire, okay? My desire. On the other side, write God's will. God's will, okay? Those are two different things. Are we clear on that? So, there's things I want in my life more than anything I want this. And some of those things are my desires and some of those things are God's will. Is that right? And some of you wrote something down in that box that is your desire and not necessarily God's will. Might be, might not be. It's not wrong. It's not God's will. And some of you put something in that box, I'm sure, that is absolutely God's will. I just want to be closer to God. Well, guess what? You're in luck because that's what God's doing with you. Okay. Now, the way he does it, though, is by working with your desires, what you really want. 
So what I want more than anything is this. God's will, my desire. So what do I do with that? You got one more blank to fill in, right? If it's God's will, then that's your legacy as a Christian. Not some health and wealth prosperity legacy. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a legacy that if what you desire more than anything is to have God's presence in your life and to feel Him and have, have the Holy Spirit speak to you and have you understand the Word and be a faithful Christian and be a godly parent. Well, that's what God's will is for you. That's your legacy. Write it down. However, most of you, when I ask you what you want more than anything, gave me something that was not necessarily, and say it's not, but not necessarily God's will for you, but it was just your desire. And if it's your desire, then Habakkuk chapter 2 Verse 4 calls you to blank God. What's the word? Say it. Trust. Trust. These are my desires. I acknowledge them. I lay them before God. God told Habakkuk, I'm going to do something that you've never seen before. Habakkuk got all excited. He goes, I'm going to wreck everything. And Habakkuk goes, no. But he ends up trusting God. That's what I want for you. It's what I want for you. It's what I want for me. More than anything I want, if it's your desire, then you have to trust God. And the journey that Habakkuk came on as we read through the book is he started with this feeling so discouraged and sad before God. And God shows him who he is, which we don't have time to talk about all the stuff God told him about himself, what God said about God. And Habakkuk pivots on the just will live by faith. Faith is how you get saved. Faith is how you... Experience salvation. Faith is the fruit of your salvation. And we end the book with, I'm going to be joyful in God, both in my actions and my attitude. That's what I want for me when my desires, what I long for more than anything in the world is unmet. And that is what I want for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Scripture which teaches us what our faith is supposed to look like. Now, help us each to live it in Jesus' name. Amen.